Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up, to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, Putin's revenge. After the bombing of the Kerch Bridge linking Russia with Crimea, the Russian president has commissioned ferocious shelling of major Ukrainian cities, including the capital Kiev, as well as Zaporizhia and Lviv. Putin has explicitly linked his latest round of death and destruction with the attack on the bridge, which is both strategically and symbolically important, linking, as it does, Russia to a region of Ukraine it annexed in 2014. But where will he stop and how are ordinary Ukrainians facing up to this latest assault? We'll be hearing from Zarina Zabriskie, a regular Byline Times correspondent in Odessa, and Yevon Petrov in Kyiv. He's the Secretary General of the Public Diplomacy Platform, which promotes engagement with civil society. Before that, just a reminder that Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast are funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our must-read monthly newspaper which has exclusive content that you can't access online. We can report without fear or favour because there's no billionaire or shadowy corporation telling us what to say. Our funding comes from ordinary subscribers, people like you. So if you can, please subscribe to the Byline Times. To get full details about subscriptions over at our website, bylinetimes.com. And subscriptions start from as little as £3 a month. Head over to bylinetimes.com. Welcome then to Zarina and Yevon. And Zarina, I'm going to start with you. You're in Odessa, and like many other parts of Ukraine, you've been under attack in recent days. Hi, Adrian, and hi, Yevon. Hi, everyone. I am in Odessa right now, but I actually just came from Kiev, and before that I was in Kharkiv, so I'm um, pretty much everywhere. I recently went to Zaporozhia, which is now is under attack as well, and I have left Kiev the night before the attack, so I actually was on the train when the attack started and they lasted for five to six hours so by the time they the attacks were heading towards us i was already at home and it was um devastating because i was in kiev the night before and it was such a buzzing lively town with so much happening and people in the streets celebrating indian summer and uh the recent successes at the front and uh, right now I just spoke to a friend of mine, another journalist in Kiev, and I hear that it's a ghost town at the moment. And maybe, Zarina, people in Kiev had been slightly lulled into a full sense of security. There were clearly successes militarily for Ukraine and the attack on the Kerch Bridge was seen as a great moment of success for Ukraine. So clearly Putin, by linking this retaliation now, it's clear that he's seeking once again to, to terrorise the, the ordinary population, not just the military, but the ordinary citizens of Ukraine. Well, I mean, no one was delusional, and I'm sure Yevhan will uh, agree with me that everybody expected retaliation. And to be honest with you, um, I gave it a lot of thought, and apparently it's not just me, but the um, American military commandment and some experts also believe that perhaps this attack 
was long planned and it is served as a retaliation. And since the circumstances of the attack on the bridge are very fishy and it's not quite clear how on earth the truck uh, with explosive was able to get on the bridge, I'm starting to think that perhaps the Russian government was aware at least of their intent and that they are using it just as the uh, many, many cases in Russian history, starting with the apartment bombings in uh, Moscow and in Rizan at the very beginning of Putin's reign for a ferocious, like you said, attack on the infrastructure and on the civil population. Yes, and for people who don't know, listeners who aren't aware of the story of the apartment block bombings, I would recommend a previous Byline Times podcast we did with Yuri Felstinsky, who has investigated that thoroughly and found evidence of a, a false flag attack in which ordinary Russian civilians were killed, and that helped Putin get to power. And it is interesting in terms of the Kerch Bridge that, as far as I'm aware, Ukraine has not yet formally claimed responsibility for that or claimed success for that. So there is still this cloud of uncertainty about what actually happened on the bridge. I agree. So we we yet to find out what exactly happened there, but there is some confirmation that the attacks uh, that happened yesterday on the infrastructure, on um, electricity power stations all around Ukraine uh, were planned a while ago and before the attack on the bridge. Let's bring in Yevon, uh, Yevon Petrov. Welcome, Yevon. Your first time on Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast, originally from Kharkiv, at the moment in Kiev, though. And just describe how it has been over the last couple of days, Yevon, please. As Zarin already said, it was quite predictable that something can happen around Ukraine, especially in Kyiv, because Kyiv hadn't been attacked for many months ago. And that case that yes, happened yesterday among, like, not only Kyiv, but whole Ukraine, it's even not an act of the retaliation. It's just a common practice, Putin's practice when he tried to scare the whole population here inside Ukraine and, like, outside Ukraine, our partners and so on, just to show that I can do whatever I want, I can do whenever I want. And the main thing for us is that during such act, he's just making us more and more stronger. And like even yesterday, all our people in Ukraine, we collected more than 1 million, 100 million grivnas per one day for drones to support our army like, and to keep fighting against this regime. And so like I talked to a huge amount of my friends who right now are without electricity or water or something like this. And all of us are not surprised and it even doesn't shock us because we, we were prepared for it and that's it. Yeah, just tell me what it has been like though, uh, Yevon. What is what has the, the attacks been like? Have, you, have rockets been landing close to where you are? I was supposed to go to my job at 8, but it made the decision to go for an hour later. So that's why I missed the first explosion. It, I just heard the sound. But after that, when we had an attack on a pedestrian bridge in the center of Kiev and on other places, I saw and I even uh, I heard it and I even saw a few missiles that coming through the Kiev. So very loud and whole Kiev was covered with smoke after that. Yeah, you know, obviously designed to cause terror amongst the local population. But it's been evident throughout this conflict that 
the people of Ukraine are steadfast. They have no intention of rolling over and allowing the country to be annexed again by Russia in the way that Crimea, for example, has been annexed. If you compare Ukraine to 2014, during that time, first of all, like our country was not so united in terms of like, because we had a huge amount of different type of conflicts and so on. And we were not prepared for such type of full invasion. And that's why we lose in very way Crimea, in very fast way Crimea. And we had this uh, very long term war in Donbass. But right now, when we have all the situation, especially with uh, such big massive uh, missiles attacks, first of all, from uh, common residents places, as we had yesterday, for example, the crossroads in the center of Kiev or play, children playground, all country, even such people that previously didn't understand that Russia is a real terrorist state, they already realized the whole mess of the situation and they are united. I, I cannot even find the fact when the whole country was so united as we have it today. Zarina, another threat looming for Ukraine comes from its neighbor, Belarus, and the president of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko, has ordered troops to deploy alongside Russian forces near Ukraine, which Lukashenko claims is a, a clear threat to Belarus. I mean, I think we can dismiss that uh, as nonsense. There is no threat to Belarus from Ukraine, but it would appear that there is a threat to Ukraine now from Belarus. Yeah, well, like you said, Adrian, anything that comes out of Lukashenko and Putin's mouth should be not exactly dismissed because they often do what they are saying, but it shouldn't be approached with a regular human logic. Uh, I mean, we, we should still be very cautious and uh, understand that the danger is coming from these two countries, but we, we shouldn't take what they are saying uh, at the price of what they are saying. I mean, we, we understand that uh, a big part of it just plain propaganda and fakes, and I would be at difficulty to say what part of it is pure insanity at this point. We would need a psychologist or psychiatrist, rather, for that. But <laughs> uh, uh, the, the, the biggest part of it is all propaganda and fake, because currently he's talking about the formation of the grouping between uh, and the deployment of joint regional grouping, and they have uh, blamed Ukraine for the future attack on on Belarus, which anyone, a child would understand that Ukraine currently would not be attacking another country. Ukraine is under attack. However, uh, what is dangerous there? Uh, the Russians have been delivering a lot of drones, including Iranian drones, called Shahid, uh, and they have funny nicknames. In Odessa, they're called balalaikas. Uh, they're also called mopeds, uh, all because of the sound that they make. They're very noisy. I've heard people describing them as big bugs flying around, but it's much louder. 
and you can hear them from far away. And in a recent couple of days, they're using a new tactic. When they approach a target, they turn off the engine or whatever is making the sound, and they're soaring down silently. But the Ukrainian air defense, uh, these people are amazing. So they figured out this tactic. And by now, as of today, uh, I think 33 targets were downed, all together, and out of them, about half of them are drones, I believe, and half of them are missiles. And, uh, yeah, the people in the UK were aware that when the Kerch Bridge was blown up, or partly blown up anyway, there were people in Ukraine celebrating that. What do you think now of this suggestion that it may have been, after all, some kind of false flag attack? So if you're talking about Crimean bridge, the first thing, just as for me, which I made after I, I realized that we had this news about it, I, I opened TikTok as like, uh, because it's a very widespread uh, application right now that can like, where you can find whole funny information within a few minutes after the accident. And definitely it was full of all these uh, jokes about Crimean bridge, what happens that like, we 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 waiting for it for ages and already it happened and so on. So definitely this part no one knows yet. It's a big mystery who made it. Either it can it could even be made by Russian side. But the main thing is that like such situations that we have now, such accidents on the front line within country or whenever they can like make our people much stronger and believe that the victory is not far away and that we can expect something really great thing can happen within few few days and few times. I would agree with Yelhan on all of this. And also while um, Adrian is coming back to us, I would also like to note that yesterday the estimate of uh, the Kremlin's expenses was 400 to $700 million dollars just as somebody joked to switch off electricity in some of Ukrainian households. And at this rate, of course, Russia wouldn't be able to continue these attacks. They're simply just too expensive and too economically devastating for Russia to continue on a daily basis. Yeah, and I also would like to add shortly that during such missiles attacks, they're even showing that they cannot, as the Russian propaganda showed to whole people in Russia inside, that they targeted only military or civic infrastructure, civic critical infrastructure and so on, and that whole country will be without electricity for ages. But let's look on real example. Kharkiv yesterday, the whole Kharkiv region itself was without electricity and water. But within a few hours, they repaired everything. And right now, all people there uh, have all capacity and facility to do their own job as they did it before. So the amount of money that they spend during each day by attacking with these very expensive and uh, high-accurate missiles, it's not a response to reality in general. Uh, before this recent ferocious kickback by Putin, Yevon, it did seem as though Ukraine was making great strides militarily. Whether or not the Kurdish Bridge was an attack carried out by Ukraine or some act of self-sabotage by the Russians, we don't know at the moment. But elsewhere in the country, in the south, in the east of the country, it did appear as though Ukraine was making real progress to push back the Russian invasion. I think the best example of like our progress of our counteroffensive right now is that 
even yesterday during this massive uh, missile attacks, we pushed in Kherson region again. And like our like armed forces uh, reporting that we are deliberating village by village during the day. As we saw and as we can hear to Russian propagandists like uh, Skabeva or Salavio and some, someone else, all, they are always asking this real military aspect. Why we are pushing meter by meter and Ukrainians pushing village by village. So it's a real good example that even Russian propaganda, Russian real, this uh, journalists and so on, even they said always that are Ukrainians doing much better right now. For sure, it was prepared during each day, each day, and thanks to our, first of all, Ukrainian armed forces, our commanders, that they prepared real good politics on the frontline aspects. Yes, I've discussed this before with Zarina Yevhen, and the question of whether if Putin is pushed back and pushed back and appears to be losing a war which he initiated and which he obviously thought would be a relatively easy victory for Russia, does that increase the danger of him pushing the nuclear trigger and and starting some kind of horrible global conflict? It's a good question because, like, not only Putin is responsible uh, for this nuclear weapon, and right now as a huge amount of intelligence services said that Putin has really big troubles inside country. So a huge amount of especially military bloc are not very happy about all the things which are going on inside Ukraine and also inside Russia itself. So it's a, it's a good question whether we see, for sure, definitely, like, all our good actions on the front line can push Putin to use since, like, the Second World War, the first time a nuclear weapon. But no one knows, can he do it? And as our Minister of Defense said, no one knows, does this nuclear weapon still work? Or not because Ukraine give back our nuclear potential. It was already run out of his time. Zarina, in your many tweets, and I would urge people to follow you on Twitter at Zarina Zabriskie, and they'll find links there to the brilliant work that you do, not just for Byline Times, but for a number of other outlets as well. At Zarina Zabriskie, you've been calling for greater involvement of the West, saying that the skies of Ukraine need to be protected by NATO. Yes, Adrian, I have been calling for that from the beginning of the war, because, uh, again, very simple logic. Uh, Russia is having problems advancing on the front, on the ground operation, but nothing protects Ukraine from the air except for say, in some regions, uh, air defense works really well, and that includes Odessa, thank God. But generally speaking, say, places like Kharkov or even Kiev, which we have seen yesterday, or many, many other cities that I've been to, Zaporizhia is a good example, are not protected from the air. And um, that makes a lot of sense to install one of the systems uh, that work well in other countries. And that for people who are not military experts or don't have any uh, political influence, it's, it's an easy step to make. We can make uh, the hashtags trend and their close the sky or no-fly zone, and what happens when certain hashtags are trending for a while, the mass media picks it up, 
and starts covering it. So it's not just on social media. Once it's all over the mass media and some uh, respected and recognized publications, um, which is not necessarily to say that these are leading publications, but that would be an issue that then will have to be addressed by the politicians. So if at the same time, our audience in the UK or in the US, uh, and that's where I'm coming from, are putting some pressure on our elected officials, writing letters, calling, as we do in America, saying that we need to bring up this issue uh, in Congress, we need to have a bill, and we can make it happen. Because a lot of things that initially were just dismissed out of hand are now happening. Look at the hammers that Ukraine gets. Look at all the heavy artillery weapons that uh, Ukraine is now operating, and thanks to that, making all the advances at the front. Initially, our governments were saying that this could not be provided because that would in turn provoke Putin. But as we can see again and again, Putin doesn't need to be provoked. He pretty much does what he wants to do. He doesn't need a pretext or he can create the pretext himself. So what we can do now, uh, and the mayor of Kiev spoke about it yesterday at a press conference, improvised one by the crater at the playground, that yes, Kiev needs the close, the sky system, you know, the Iron Dome, and that refers to all the other cities in Ukraine. So let's make it happen. Like everyone here can go on Twitter and do hashtag close the sky, no fly zone, and ask the friends to do it. And then we can start the wave of it and then we can protect innocent people. We can save human lives. I mean, I've seen so many dead people by now here in Ukraine. I've been here for seven months and I report from sites. I've seen so much the loss of lives which shouldn't have been there in the first place. We, we, can, we can change it. We can make it stop. Just so I'm clear, though, Zarina, you're not calling for direct military intervention by NATO to ensure a no-fly zone, but you're calling for the West to supply the hardware which would allow Ukraine to defend itself, anti-aircraft missiles and so on. Yes, that would be a completely separate issue. Whether I would want NATO to interfere, I think it's irrelevant in the frame of this discussion, so I won't go there. But yes, I'm talking just about installing the efficient systems of air defense city by city, which can be done. And Yevon, it's uh, supposed inevitable in a country as large as Ukraine that there will be some areas which are very well protected, but also areas that have very little or zero protection. You've got long borders with your neighbours. It is a vast area to protect it at the moment, or historically anyway. There hasn't been the need for that kind of defence either. But at the moment, clearly there is. For some cities, it will work better than for others. Say, Kharkov is very close to the Russian border. And uh, some areas that I visited in the Kharkov uh, region, in the Kharkov Oblast, could be five kilometers away from the Russian border. So that is being targeted nonstop. And this is these are different types of weapons. So closing the sky there 
wouldn't work. It would be a different issue. But we are talking about the majority of the cities that are not situated as close to the border. Yeah, you know, like, uh, as Rina already said, if you are talking about an example of Kharkiv, here is uh, two main issues. First one, that Kharkiv started from, I think, the first days of the full-scale invasion, has been bombed not only by missiles and uh, hard aircrafts, but also with uh, hard uh, weapons like, not missiles, but uh, like rockets, something like uh, multiplier rocket launchers and so on. And so the main problem in Kharkiv also is that a missile from Belgrade to Kharkiv reached their final destination in 51 seconds. And our current anti-missile system is only launching in two minutes. So it's it, it's very hard right now to protect Kharkiv, especially from missiles attack. And it's a good case that in some places uh, such type of uh, ammunition and hard weapons will not work because we have very different situations there. But mm-hmm. what's the main thing right now if that we can receive all, all, all the type of weapons that we could and with which we could operate, as for example, we show the example with M triple seven, with Heimers, and with so on. We can push Ru- Russians so far to their own borders that cannot that they cannot reach with different type of weapons our cities, like we had with Kharkiv. So the rate of uh, shellings in Kharkiv is much lower right now than it was, for example, a few months ago, before or even before the, the deliberation of Kharkiv region itself. Yevon, it's been great to speak to you. I hope we speak to you again. And good luck in your resistance in Ukraine. We wish you all the very best from Byline Radio, the Byline Times, and I'm sure the vast majority of the British people. And Zarina, the very best to you as well when I heard about the ferocity of these attacks because we've you know built up a friendship over these months. My heart was in my mouth. So I'm glad you're safe and I just pray that you stay safe. Thank you so much, Adrian. Thank you, everyone. And like Yevgen said, Ukrainians, and uh, I'm by now an honorary Ukrainian, I want to think, uh, pretty resilient and not easily scared. So I met a friend on the street yesterday as the, we were hearing the explosions up in the sky. She was heading for her manicure because she had an appointment and she wasn't going to cancel it. So we're doing fine. Thank you. <laughs> I, I just want to say shortly to agree with Zarina words that like all of us, for example, my friends who are in Kiev, they have they had yesterday a football match and they were aware that we already paid for the playground for the football field and today we cannot manage it to do it there. So like Ukrainians are, are very resistant right now and they are, we are used to be in such situation for more than half a year and we will definitely handle with all problems that we have. Great to speak to you. Thank you. That's Yevhen Petrov. Thanks to Zarina Zabriskie. Don't forget to follow Zarina at Zarina Zabriskie on Twitter. And don't forget as well, if you can, to get a subscription to The Byline Times. For starters, you get a fantastic monthly newspaper. But the bonus is that you're helping to fund Byline Radio and The Byline Times podcast as well. And your subscriptions start from as little as £3 a month. And for those of you who have already taken out a subscription, thank you. And for those of you as well who promote our work at Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast, people like Elise Beerman and Jacob Oberg, who do so much good work to promote what we do. Thank you very much indeed. So do please spread the word via social media and let other people know that we are here. Thanks very much indeed for listening. We'll see you again soon. Cheers now. Bye bye. <laughs>